Welcome to Between the Before and After, a podcast about the stories that shape us. I'm your host, Coach John McLernan, and each episode I bring you an inspiring guest with a moving story that shines a light on the power of the human spirit. Before we dive in, I want to let you know about two very important things. Number one, the stories shared here are often gritty, raw, and vulnerable, and very likely will include speaking about sensitive topics suited for a mature audience. Number two, This podcast is also broadcast live on YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook. So on whatever platform you follow myself or Freedom Nutrition Coaching, you have the opportunity to participate in this discussion during the live stream. And we encourage your participation both by commenting and asking questions. And so this podcast is about exploring the stories that take place between the before and after photos, not just in the realm of weight loss, but in all areas of life. So let's dive in. All right. Welcome back to the show. I am always excited. I think this is the first time I have a tech CEO on the show. So I think we get to tick that box as a first one. So Zara, welcome to the show. Thank you so much to ha- for having me, John. I appreciate it. Yeah. So you're coming at us from uh, Miami, Florida, and I think you fared all right in terms of uh, Hurricane Ian coming through. So we're glad to hear that. Um, yes, we were very lucky. It swiped right by us, but uh, there was definitely some devastation in other parts. So I hope everyone is safe and well. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'm excited to dive into kind of the story behind behind Zara, really. And, uh, you know, because we were chatting just before the broadcast, um, you know, people see right now this the successful tech CEO, um, best-selling author, and all of these really amazing accolades that you've accomplished in life. Um, but what, what often gets missed in that is like um, the story and the journey to get there. That's what I'm excited to explore today. But um, just before we dive into that, um, where where can people find you and kind of what are you up to these days? Uh, well, uh, right now we're just about launching the six weeks to happy coaching program. So the book, uh, six weeks to happy just became a coaching program because people have responded so well to the book. Everyone's looking for live coaching. And I thought, well, how do I, I can do it as a group coaching thing. We can, we can go through the six week program together because it's a methodology. And Mm -hmm. so I thought, why don't we why don't we turn it into a coaching program? So that's just launching now. I'm very, very excited. And if you want to find out more, you can just go to sixweekstohappy.com. Oh, very cool. So um and then you you also are you currently in the active role of CEO at um GetZend? Yes, I'm the founder and CEO of GetZend. So we have many different products. We have books and we have the GetZend app, which is a guided meditation, but it's really a peak performance app. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, everything we do is about peak, peak performance and, you know, really tapping into our greatest human potential so that we can be the best version of ourselves. And then I do live coaching one-on-one and group coaching as well. And we're about to launch in Q1 of 2023, a corporate wellness program as well, because if we're retraining our brains individually, then why don't we take this into the workplace as well? and help people reduce stress and boost their performance in the workplace as well. Because, you know, I came from the corporate world and when we were stressed or we were tired or people were, you know, overworked for so long and burning out, you know, a 15 minute stretch break just isn't enough. I think what COVID taught taught us is that we really have to get better at understanding ourselves and being able to look after our mental and emotional health, not just the physical side, because mm-hmm. it's, it's 
so much more than that. And and that's why I'm very excited to be here and share this with you guys today. Yeah, that, that's absolutely fantastic. And so um, I want to rewind the clock a little bit here. Um, because, you know, you're, you're in a really, really fantastic in, uh, place. You know, you're doing a lot of motivating, a lot of inspiring. And, um, you know, you're an executive success coach, which is a pretty cool sounding title. Um, but I, I wonder, like, when, when you were, like, growing up and, and going through some of those formative years, you know, did you have in your mind, this is, I want to be an executive success coach? Or, or you know, what, what was that like for you? No, in fact, I was one of those, I was one of those strange kids. I was good at a lot of things. I was good at math and science. I was good at arts. And I had no clue what I wanted to do for a really, really long time. I just knew that I was fascinated with human behavior. And now looking back, I realized this was probably always my path. But for years, I was one of those people that I would probably have been voted least likely to succeed because I just didn't know what I wanted to do. I didn't have a clear direction. And I had met so many other kids growing up who had a clear sense that they wanted to be a doctor. I want to be an entrepreneur. I want to be, you know, this, that, and the other. And I just, I didn't have any clue. And so I started studying psychology just because I love the human mind and I wanted Mm. to understand human behavior. And then you know, to take it back even further, I was born in South Africa during apartheid, which is a it's a very strange time to be living in a segregated society like that. And, you know, I think I was exposed to many things that a small child just doesn't have the capacity to understand or to process mm-hmm. yet. For sure. And what came out in my story was, you know, when you come along a moment that feels traumatic for you, the, the the nature of who we are as human beings, you know, we, we are partly conscious mind and partly subconscious, unconscious mind. We're, in fact, mm-hmm. only 5% conscious mind and 95% in the unconscious. And my little unconscious being decided to tell itself a story to explain the strange things that were happening around me as a child. And the story yeah, I told yeah. myself was that, oh, I'm probably not good enough. Yeah. Girl or the color of my skin or whatever, whatever the scenario was. And as I got older and as I started studying psychology and the studies of the subconscious and all of these other fields of study and working in my business as an executive coach, I realized, wow, this is a really universal theme. There's a mm. lot of people going through some version of this. And so it must be part of the human experience. So I became fascinated with what it, what does it mean to be a human being in this world? You know, we've heard so many expressions like, you know, we're a spiritual being having a human experience. Okay, what does that mean? And, and right, how does, yeah. you know, what separates the masses from those that are really, truly happy? You know, the ones that have that little sparkle in their eye and, yeah, and, yeah. and those that are that are able to achieve extreme levels of success, like, what makes it so different that they were able to have such a grand vision for themselves and other people don't? And so I became yeah. fascinated with like, what is that winning formula for happiness and success? And and how, if you have a story called I'm not enough or I'm not good enough or some version of that, how do you move past it and rewrite your story so you can align with the tools and the traits and the qualities that those people that excel to great levels of happiness and success figured out. And so yeah. that became kind of my journey. And so, you know, little immigrant girl coming from South Africa to Canada, grew up in Canada, 
then lived in Europe, and I didn't know what I wanted to study. So I picked psychology because it was of interest to me. Mm -hmm. And then I did a postgraduate in telecommunications and project management and started working in IT and very quickly became a project manager and then a management consultant. And I realized that one of my strengths is I can fix things. I can restructure mm. things. I'm great at understanding patterns and I'm great at understanding the gaps and I'm great at producing results. And so I brought that whole set of work experience to this field now trying to uncover, you know, what is that winning formula to happiness and success? And so I created a methodology to teach people the tools so that they can do it for themselves. So it was definitely a long journey to get here and, and definitely yeah. a, an interesting one to learn how to rewrite that story, you know, that, that human part of us that gets stopped in, in fear-based thinking and, and self-doubt and, and to turn it around and flip it on its head. Yeah, now you, t you touched on a couple of things that that I wanted to go back to. Um, one, actually, I'm curious where in South Africa you grew up because I, I spent some time living over in South Africa. Oh, um, yeah, I, I, I had a traumatic experience over there as well. So it, it, it's definitely left its imprint on my life. It's a beautiful country, mm -hmm. but there's also a, a very difficult side to it, as you've as you've alluded to. Um, so where in South Africa did you grow up, and and what age were you when you came to Canada? Well, I was uh, born near Port Elizabeth, so on the on the oh, eastern coast. Was Grahamstown. Oh my gosh, how funny! Small yeah. and also fellow Canadian. Yes, yes. <laughs> and then I left at six years old and moved to Toronto with my family. Yeah. So coming from coming from. Uh, in Eastern Cape to to Toronto. Now, I mean, South Africa can get a little bit cold. Um, it's not that 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 bad. Um, a, a little bit. I mean, we got there. We went, we landed there in, in August, and we were like, we were surprised at how cold it actually was. Yeah. Um, because we just come from living in Europe. My wife, my wife, and I. And then we got to Grahamstown. And we're like, oh man, it is actually cold because we'd also kind of forgotten that it was like Southern Hemisphere, so the seasons are reversed. Yes. Um, yeah. So coming coming to Toronto though, six years old, like that's that's quite a young age to kind of be uprooted and mm -hmm. go to a completely different culture and, and world. And yes. how did that affect you and kind of your ability to, to integrate? You know, you come to a new school, new country, new everything like that in itself, because six years old is a formative part of our life experience. Mm -hmm. Great question. I You know, I don't think I was aware of how I was processing it at the time. As I look back now, some of the choices I made were interesting because, it, you know, you can only explain that as much as you can explain it to a child and to, they have to really experience it for themselves. And so mm -hmm. to come from a segregated society where you're living in separate townships according to race and, you know, separate schools and we weren't allowed on the public beaches, we weren't allowed into hotels and restaurants we had a separate entrance to the post office, not unlike some parts in the U.S. and probably in the 50s. Mm. Um, but then to move to a completely integrated society in Canada, so beautiful and rich and, and, and welcomes its multicultural, you know, multiple cultures. We call it the cultural mosaic because you get to keep your heritage in Canada and you get mm. to, you know, embody that and bring all of that rich history into the Canadian culture, which is one of the, the most beautiful countries, and I'm always honor it for that. Um, it was a beautiful way to grow up. But yes, it was hard for your little six-year-old brain to understand. I remember a very early memory, you know, walking into a restaurant, and my mother said, kids, go ahead, grab a table, sit down. And we're just yeah. like, what do you mean? Where's our section? 
It yeah. didn't compute that we had the freedom to go anywhere. We had the freedom to speak to anyone. We had the freedom to make whichever friendships we wanted to make. And so yeah. it took a little while for, for it to feel normal. And then, and then it did. Yeah. Yeah. And, and um, what, uh, I guess I'm, I'm kind of curious what decade that was. Was this? Um, Seven, was I, late 70s. Late 70s. Okay. I, I was like, not, not sure if I want to ask if it's polite to ask age, but. Uh, I always so, myself, but I'm okay with it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, cause I think about even just like the world in and, and what it was like, I mean, I'm a kid of the eighties, you know, but we grew up like pre pre internet. Um, you know, I think the, the most like exciting technology I had was like this dot matrix monochrome game boy with like Tetris oh, and super Mario brothers, yes. you know, <laughs> yeah, those things that, you know, so that, that was like, um, that was kind of the world we had. And, uh, mm-hmm. so we didn't have, you know, you didn't have the internet uh, in the way that we know it now. I mean, it's, it's mm-hmm. just a marvel that we can sit here and have this conversation. Um, Absolutely. you know, uh, but, but I think there's a certain, I guess, kind of freedom to that as well. Um, in, in sort of your, your growing up years. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, you, you mentioned like, you felt like you were fairly kind of welcomed into this and, but you were struggling to sort of find yourself gravitate towards any, anything in general. And I think we have, especially you go back a few years or maybe a couple decades. Um, and there, there was like really kind of this cu- sort of cultural precedent, you know, maybe not so much today, but back then it's cultural precedent. Like you kind of have to know what you want to do with your life. Yes. And I, I think we, we may be slightly kindred spirits in this, that I was like, I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life either. <laughs> like I said, it took me till I was almost 40 to figure out what I really wanted to do. Yes. And so, yes. um, did, uh, so you, you know, as you're kind of going through school, was there any sort of feeling of disconnect when you, you see others around you being like, hey, this is the path I'm going on. You know, I'm going to be like, I'm going to be a doctor. I'm going to be a lawyer. I'm going to be an engineer and all this kind of stuff. Um, you know, did you ever feel like, huh, why can't I find something? Yeah, I did feel a little strange that I didn't know definitively what I wanted to do. But there were also lots of other kids in that bucket, you know, and then there were there were others that did know what they wanted to do. But one thing I can say is that I always had this inner knowing that I was going to be okay. You know, so in those moments where you did wonder, like, what does it all mean? What am I going to end up doing? How am I going to make money as I get older? What career am I going to choose? What major do I pick in university? There was just this inner knowing. And now I understand that to be, you know, there's our, our human self, our animal self, which is sort of, evolved to be really good at survival and then there's our spirit self like who we are at our core like our inner child mm-hmm. our, our our soul our spirit our essence the essence of who we are always knew we were meant for great things and i think the essence of me knew that i was going to do great things and i was going to be just fine and it was reassuring me for many years i i, I don't know how to explain it except to say yeah. that it makes sense well, what's uh, now this, this phrase, great things is kind of an interesting one. Mm-hmm. And because somebody will hear that, well, you're destined for great things. You know, at, at what age is that message relevant? And there's kind of, there's a reason why I'm asking this, but you know, uh, you're destined for great things. And how do we define great things? Mm-hmm. Because let's say if, if we set the standard to like the level of success that, you know, maybe the top 10 people, you know, you think about like Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos or Bill Gates or, you know, Steve Jobs, these sorts of big names and whatnot. You know, when we say destined for greatness, how do you define that for an individual? That's a great question. And the answer is that it's really personal. How you define happiness and how you define success is really personal. It's not a one size fits all formula. Now, 
along the way, how you think you might define happiness or success usually is a byproduct of your upbringing and your environment and what you've been exposed to. So if you grow up in a little box with people that have, you know, less, you know, that don't have a high level of education, for example, then your options are fewer. And you may also think as a child growing up and in that environment, that this is your box, this is your lane, and that's where you're going to stay. Now, another person born into that same box might say, oh, no, I'm going to create a new path. I'm going to forge a whole new roadway for myself, and I'm going to get to the other side. So it really depends on, you know, how you were raised, but also who you know intrinsically. If you can tune in and if you can learn to quiet the noise in your head and all of those voices telling you you can't do it, listen to the one that says, yes, you can. It's mm-hmm. quieter. It whispers to you. And I think that's your soul. And that's, I think, your, your spiritual self speaking to you and saying, and that was the one that was speaking to me saying, you're, you're going to be just fine. You're going to be fine. And I, I don't know how to explain it further than mm-hmm. that. I say that I listened and I felt mm-hmm. in those moments where I was flailing or feeling lost or without direction. I listened to that voice. And that's, that's part of the tools towards reaching happiness and success is you need to figure out who you really are. Like, what is it that makes you tick? Because I think most of us come into this life with a, a very basic set of milestones that we're given, like marching orders. And mm-hmm. it goes something like this. We're in this amazing, very long journey called life. And here's what we're given. Do well in school. When you finish school, you're going to pick a major, you're going to pick a college and university, you're going to pick a trade, and you're either going to start working or you're going to continue your education, and you're going to do well at that. Then you're going to climb the corporate ladder, you're going to get the house, you're going to get the spouse, you're going to get the kids, and maybe a dog, and at some point, happiness is just going to show up for you. Mm-hmm. What I realized in working with my coaching clients over the years is it really is very personal. So if if you are happy living in a house in the countryside and having a quieter life or living in the suburbs and having a quiet family life and going to a job and being a careerist, that's wonderful. As long as it's authentically you and not the set of goals that you were given or mm-hmm. what you thought you should be doing, which is what I realized most people are living a life that they think they should be living versus one that really lights them up. And so mm-hmm. What I came to understand, so when I, in my coaching practice, what I would work with clients with is, you know, I need to understand the gap of where they are now compared to where they want to be. And I need to get into their model of the world and understand where did they construct their box so I can pull Mm -hmm. it apart and create more possibility for them. And then I work with them to create a plan to achieve those goals. Well, in creating that plan and having them visualize the end state I realized that so many of my clients couldn't actually say if it was going to make them any happier. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, well, that's pretty profound. Why on earth are you working towards this goal if you have no idea if it's going to bring you joy or freedom or certainty or financial success or happiness? What what are you chasing here? And so I think that most people don't actually know what makes them happy and if you don't know what makes you happy then your definition of success can't really be defined because 
you need to first figure out who you are and what lights you up and what would really make you feel as though you're thriving. Once you know that, you can search out a formula for happiness and success. Mm-hmm. Find that for yourself. Yeah, which I think is, is a really keen um, observation. And it, it, you know, other, other questions come to mind. And I think why these questions come to mind is I recognize that I, I grew up like, I grew up what I call like first world poor. We didn't have a lot growing up, but I still got to grow up in Canada. You know, I still got to grow, you know, grow up with like two parents who are to this day still married and they live just, you know, a couple blocks away from where we live now, which is really neat. They get to see my little boy and, and be grandma and grandpa and whatnot. Um, so, yeah. So in, in that sense, the word, like I, I was starting from like a better platform than, you know, someone who maybe grows up in a, in a dusty third world village in some mm-hmm. country where, and, and I've had the privilege of traveling around the world and being and living and being in some of these places as well to, to have a better understanding. Um, I, so I think about like the messaging that I put out, you know, and it's like, Hey, you can accomplish these, you know, amazing things in life. But I think what you're, you're highlighting here is a lot of people are pursuing them with this idea that that's where happiness lies. And in fact, that's the lie is that it, it isn't actually there. Um, it was, it was like, it was in us all along, which yeah. I think is, is really important for people to understand that I, I do believe in, in almost any circle, because if, if, I mean, I, I often reference like Victor Frankl in this book, you know, man's search for meaning. You think, how could somebody in the most atrocious and horrific um, circumstances of human existence still find some semblance of, of peace and be such a remarkable and profound thinker. And, and um, I mean, I've been to Auschwitz, I've, I lived in Poland and it, it's, you know, it boggles the mind, but I think what's a really important message here is that it really isn't some sort of end. Happiness isn't an end state. Correct. Yeah. And it's not the same as goal achievement. I think people mm-hmm. can too, right? We, yeah. we get so tied up with chasing one milestone, one goalpost after another. And, you know, I, I wish this was taught in school and that's definitely going to be something I'm, I'm going to work to. Yeah. Well, because if we can give children the tools at eight or 10 or 12 or 15, you know, the things that took us 30 years to unpack and understand about ourselves so we could be feeling our best and living our best life. What if we could reach them younger and teach yeah. them how the brain works and what it means to be human and how to listen to your inner voice and how to move past fear and how to rewrite that story of not feeling enough because all kids go through it. You know, and there's mm-hmm. so much unnecessary pain and suffering. If we had just, if we, if we had, you know, the ability to just teach this to, to children and say, here's how to unlock all of that. And here's how to find your formula for happiness and success. Yeah. So bringing back to your story, um, mm-hmm. you know, you, you decided to study psychology at university and then yeah. kind of, was it in, in that stretch of time that you found your way into the tech world or decided like, hey, there's something here that, that appeals to me? (laughs) Interesting question. Actually, no, I was studying psychology and I thought, you know, I don't think I could, you know, the the two paths I knew at that time were I could be a psychologist or I could be a psychiatrist, which meant go to med school. Right, right. But I knew enough about myself at that point to think, I don't think I could sit and listen to people's neuroses for eight hours a day (laughs) without it impacting my own health. And I said, that's something I wish to do. And so I actually chose to do a postgrad in tech because I thought, well, 
there's job security and it's a high employment rate. So why don't I get a job and start making some money until I figure out what I wanted to do. And then I, I found the project management world and I used my study of human behavior in the corporate world. So, you know, I got to understand negotiation skills and diplomacy skills and, and how to manage relationships and, you know, how to build key relationships with clients, how to manage your stakeholders, mm. and then how to produce results. So you learn about KPIs. And what was interesting always to me was that everyone that showed up to work, there were, there were two people in my mind. There was the personal self and the career self. And mm -hmm. so many of us work really hard at developing our professional selves, our career selves, but very few of us apply that same diligence, that same structure, that same rigor to our personal lives. And so I thought, I thought it's an interesting path that I took. And now it all makes sense because I needed to understand and study countless methodologies and processes and became a master at producing results. And I said, okay, I'm going to apply this to my own personal life. And when I saw a shift in me within a few weeks, I thought, okay, now I'm going to use it in my coaching practice and see if I can produce the same results for individuals. And then that's what became the book was I thought I needed to understand the science behind these results. So I then studied neuroscience so I could understand the brain and how does the brain process thoughts and feelings and success and failure and you know, how can we retrain the brain away from survival and fear and self-doubt mm -hmm. back to, you know, because sometimes our very nature, because we evolved to be good at survival, actually works counter towards our goals for happiness and success. It does. And so that became the methodology that became Six Weeks to Happy. And we got uh, Ben Ben Higgins here. Uh, you guys are great. It's a fantastic mindset to live by. You know, thanks thanks for chipping in, Ben, and thanks for for tuning. And hope you're you're enjoying the conversation. Um, that's one of the great things about doing this live. Um, there's a bit of a transition here that um, uh, maybe I glossed over a little bit. Um, you were a project manager, and then you're speaking of be, you know becoming a coach. How mm -hmm. you know and and you know maybe in a sense in in a, in a management role, you kind of are coaching people to some degree. You're trying to you know, navigate them towards a shared objective or a goal. But how, how do you go from being a project manager in um, what I gather is it like a tech firm to um, becoming like an executive coach? And what, what was that transition like? Well, I, I really transitioned from uh, project manager to management consultant. So when you train to be a project manager and you go through the, you know, the actual certifications, part of that is always coaching and mentoring more junior members as you, as you grow and you're assigned mentors, you know, um, and then when you work in the corporate world, and I was very lucky to have a lot of leadership training, a lot of management training. Um, and then I just studied coaching as a personal, you know, as a personal goal for my own level of interest, because I wanted to do better in my, in my corporate job as a management consultant. And then as I started working larger and larger projects and my projects went all the way up to, you know, from 5 million up to 45 million and you're, mm -hmm. you're managing a team of 200. And the very first thing you do when you come into a big company like that, and I, you know, I was very blessed to work with some great executives. I became a trusted advisor to these people. And so when something needed, you know, when there's a big project that needed to happen, whether it was, supply chain optimization or managing internal cost or changing internal processes, they would call me and I was sort of the firefighter. 
And I would come in and I'd do a quick gap analysis and say, okay, here's what you need to do to fix what's broken in the company. And, uh, and then I would run the project and I would have a, a team. But the very first thing when you're working those senior level projects is you have to first coach the executives mm-hmm. your strategy, get their buy-in, then you get their agreement and you're coaching, you know, then the, the senior management, then the management, and then all of the operators down below. And so you're really doing organizational change management at that time, which is a blend of psychology and uh, process improvement, where you're taking them through that change curve. This company, you know, because a lot of large companies grew very quickly through mergers and acquisitions. They hired, they gobbled up lots of companies. And so now you have this great big enterprise and it's still operating as a number of small mom and pop shops. And so it was my job to come in and say, well, you have redundant systems, you have redundant teams, you know, let's streamline everything and figure out what tools you really need to get your business to the next goalpost. And then I would help them build all of that in. So, yeah, it became part of what I did. And then I also trained on the side and opened a coaching practice on the side because, yeah, why not? (laughs) For sure, for sure. And so all, all of this is taking place in the professional realm in, in Zara's mm-hmm. professional life. Um, over this, this kind of span of time, what's taking place in Zara's personal life? What, what's, uh, you know, cause you talk about developing the career person. And, and so we're yeah. hearing about lots of career <laughs> development. So what's sort of taking place, what experiences did you go through? Maybe even what obstacles did you bump into along the way? Cause it, we can talk about it. Like it flows smoothly. Like I went from this and I transitioned to this and so on and so forth. It sounds like, Oh boy, that sounds like it was just like an easy, smooth road here. Um, you know, oh, what, what, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What what was taking place that was challenging for you during that stretch of time? Well, I mean, I actually started off. So if you start off with that story of not feeling good enough, and one of my one of my things when I was very young was I was actually quite painfully shy. Nobody that meets me today believes that for a second. Um, but I really I was painfully shy. And one of the things I did was I always modeled behavior. I didn't know I was doing it at the time. Now I know the expression for it. I know what to call it. But from a very young age, I had this idea of who I was now and this trajectory that I was on now if I just continued as I was today. And I had a separate pathway of the person I wanted to become. And so I always looked at, it didn't matter if it was somebody I met live in a meeting, maybe maybe an executive walked in the room and you know, I would appreciate their swagger or their confidence or the way they spoke or the way they interacted with people or the way they were able to communicate with people and build rapport. I would look at key skills. I would look at their behavior, the way they moved, the way they dressed, the way they presented themselves. And I would say, okay, I want this trait and I want to learn that and I want to learn to be this confident. And, you know, I just started modeling my way through there and I started challenging myself with little micro goals like, I remember I lived in Europe as well, and I got to work in Europe um, for six years, which was wonderful. Um, I remember being invited to a party when I was in Amsterdam, and um, I didn't know anyone except for my friend who was DJing. And he's DJing, so I can't really chat with him throughout the night. Right. So yeah. Walking into a room full of people that I don't know, and I said, "I." So I would challenge myself, like I would speak to myself and coach myself, like. Mm-hmm. You know, just go grab a bottle of wine to say thank you for the invite and make sure you speak to everyone in the room. And if you hate it, leave after an hour. I ended up staying all night walking home at sunrise 
So I would challenge myself with these little moments. Like if I walked into, you know, some corporate event and, you know, I think so many of us have that experience of walking into a room full of people and feeling utterly alone. Right. Yeah. So I, I don't feel a connection to anybody in this room yet. Yes. So I walked, you know, I'd walk into this room and I'd say, what are you doing? Just, just get on with it. Just make conversation. It's okay if it's awkward and bumpy, just do it. Just, you know, get out there. Just, it's like a muscle, just learn to practice it, learn to rehearse it. And soon enough, I got better and better and I acquired all of those traits and qualities that I wanted along the way. So it wasn't a, a straight path. I don't think anyone's life is a straight path. And as I speak to people that are other coaches, we all took a really strange journey to get here. Nobody yeah. grew up at eight years old and said, I'm going to be a coach when I grow up. Or I'm going to be a mindset <laughs> yeah. coach or I'm going to be a confidence coach or whatever. Um, and so I think we all just sort of fell into it because we discovered a pathway to something, whether that was happiness or success or whatever that end result was. And we said, okay, let's let's put this into a system and let's teach people how to do this for themselves. Mm -hmm. You know, at one point, I think you mentioned you were chasing happiness until you were miserable. <laughs> yes. I want I wanted to zoom in on that one a little bit there, um, because we and I think we've we've touched on this a little bit in terms of, but I, I learned sort of your personal experience. Mm -hmm. What what was driving you? What what were you chasing that you thought had happiness there? Yeah, like I said at the start of, of uh, our session today was, you know, I was one of those people that came into life thinking, okay, we chase these goals. And at some point, you know, we're going to acquire all of these things. And at some point, happiness, when I get this, I'll be happy. When I get to this place, I'll be happy. And, you know, by all accounts, if you looked at my life, now I had, I always knew about myself. I wanted a grand life. I was never going to be one of those people that sat at home. I, I, I will never be bored. Somebody said this to me very early on. If you're bored, it's probably because you're boring. And I said, oh, well, that's not, that's not the life that I want. I want to be charmed and excited by the adventure of my life. And so I always managed to make the right choices to include travel and excitement and adventure because those are the things I really value in my life and I think a lot mm -hmm. of people don't know how to build that into their life but for me it was a it was a non-negotiable uh, so that was number one and then yeah I just I sort of found my rhythm with it I think and so I was chasing goals and so if you looked at my life I thought that every time I hit a goal, it was going to make me happy. And that's why I, I said that in the book where I chased happiness so much it made me miserable because at a certain point, what the turning point really was for me was in the corporate world, working these big, big projects. It was wonderful to have all of this great respect and, you know, to be a trusted advisor to global executives and to have that kind of, you know, that kind of level of um, faith in me and to have those accolades. But it's also very high stress. And I was burning mm -hmm. out chasing these goals and chasing the next milestone and chasing the next big project. And I was reaching burnout and I had to, I had to just stop and say, okay, there's gotta be more to this. What is, what is happening? What is missing right now? Yeah. Was there, was there like a watershed moment for you where, you know, for some people it's, it's maybe just a, a slow build. Um, but usually it reaches some kind of, some kind of Zenith where you're like, okay, uh, like this is it 
the change has to happen. And here's, yes. here's how I'm going to start making that change for, for you. What was that? It was this moment where, you know, I was working on a really big project. I was strung out. Now I thought this was normal. You have to understand. I thought a level of high stress was normal because that's what we're taught in the corporate world. Mm-hmm. Right. It's, you know, the, the only difference was when I lived in the Netherlands where they actually appreciated work-life balance. But if you grow up in, U- in the U.S. or Canada or North America or the U.K. or Europe for that matter, hard work and long hours are you're just meant to grind it out. And I think there's some merit in that. But I think we also couldn't, you know, we, we could dial it back a little bit and, and look after ourselves better and tap into who we're meant to be and how we need to show up in the world while still accomplishing our goals and create a better set of balance. And again, it's some of the tools I built into this program that rewires them into the book because most people don't understand it. It doesn't have to be this way just because you've been taught that this is the way. Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I, I just came to realize that things had to be different. So I caught myself that particular moment was, I took a break to go into the office kitchen to grab myself a coffee. And I just noticed that I was doing everything so fast. I was walking fast. I was breathing fast. I was talking fast. And I just realized, oh, my gosh, I'm so tired. I'm so tired of waking up tired. I feel like I'm running a marathon has no end. There's no finish line. And that was a big turning point for me. And then I I went into, you know, sort of paid attention to what was happening in my physical body. And I just feel my chest was so tight. I had so much tension in my neck and shoulders. And again, that had felt normal for me for 20, 30 years. And all of a sudden I said, this can't be right. There's got to be a way where we can be relaxed and happy. There has to be a way where we can be peaceful and productive and what is that and right then my project got put on hold so it was kind of like a defining moment where I got to actually just take a step back and so I took a little holiday and I didn't know what to do I woke up the next morning and I I remember having my big mug of coffee and (laughs) sitting on my sofa and overlooking the, the lake in Toronto and I just said, I'm tired of feeling this way. I'm tired of feeling stressed. I'm tired of feeling tired. I'm tired of feeling this tension all the time. And out of nowhere, a little voice inside me just said, how do you want to feel instead? And I said, oh, that's interesting. Mm. You know, I'd like to feel peaceful and calm and happy like that feeling you know that first morning you wake up on vacation and you know you don't have to be anywhere you don't have to do anything you're not on a clock anymore that delicious feeling where like you know you can just feel your whole body relax you can feel your shoulders just drop and your breathing open up and you know you're just in that perfect moment of peace it was that feeling and I didn't know where to start. I just knew I'd read countless books on happiness and positive psychology. Mm. And I had all of these tools, but I wasn't using them. And so yeah. I said, well, you've done a ton of research, girl. You better just dig into that toolkit and, and start something. Isn't and that I, interesting? Yeah. Because we, 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 Japanese have a term for it, and the term escapes me currently, but it's, it's like the collection of information that we do nothing with. Yes. 
because yeah. every, you know everything else felt like a priority. And I guess what I'm picturing here is your brain had become accustomed to this. My default mode of operating is everything is fast, high pressure, high speed. So when you get to this place where you're like, I know I want to change. I know I need to stop, but I don't really know how or what to do because I've been operating on this mode for so long that it is without even thinking, I just slip into that mode. And that's right. quite, I imagine it's quite a process in one sense. Like there's a decision made, but it, I, I think for most people, it's not like overnight, all of a sudden, you know, now I'm now I'm just smooth and easy and happy and at peace and, and, and so on. There's a bit of a back and forth because as we know, what comes to neuroplasticity, we have to kind of unwire certain patterns as well as wire in new patterns. And so, and I think this is what you're alluding to in terms of like rewire. There's, there's not just a process of like wiring in, you know, some beneficial things, but it's also weakening the connection to other habits and behaviors that we have and maybe even understanding that it's a process. Yes, absolutely. You're absolutely right. And it was a process. And, and for me, I started seeing a change as I started to express these new habits and just focusing on how I wanted to feel. And within three weeks, I felt lighter, happier. And at the same time, I was more focused, more innovative, more productive. My team was responding differently. My whole, my whole world, everyone I interacted with was responding differently. And that became the start of what became the rewire system. And you talked about neuroplasticity right now, which is, you know, the brain, we used to think the brain was static, but it's not. It's actually changeable. It's malleable. And we can retrain ourselves away from that old survival, that quick, quick, have to, everything's a priority. Everything is urgent. I'm so tapped out. I'm so maxed out all the time and retrain it back to our natural state of calm because many of us don't know we actually have a state of calm that's as yeah. strong as our stress response, which, by the way, is called the fight-or-flight response, mm. which is survival-based. And now we're getting into a conversation about what it means to be human. And so we are 5% conscious mind, 95% unconscious mind. And most of our thinking actually happens at the unconscious level. All behavior mm. happens at the unconscious level. So we wake up in the morning and we think we're in control of our lives, but we're actually living in that 5%. Well, what about if we could tap into that 95% and blow things up so we could live life with more choice, with more intention in terms of how we want to think and feel, remove those barriers to happiness and success and really get on the road to, to living a life we could actually be excited about. And, and that's yeah. what I poured into the book. Yeah. Ch changing the filters, I think is, you know, I, I was just on a call with a client prior to this interview and mm -hmm. a phrase that kept coming up is I, I, I don't have time. And I said, yeah, that's, I, I understand that you're, you're busy. She's a busy professional. I work a lot with professional women. Uh, surprisingly, I didn't, I didn't actually set up, but I work a lot with professional women over 50 who are very busy and have fallen exactly into this pattern. But it's, mm -hmm. I don't have time. And it's every time you, every time you use that phrase, you're instructing your brain how to filter information. Yes. Because, because exactly what you're describing that we can only focus on our brain processes something in the neighborhood of like 11 million bits of information per second it is marvelous it is amazing it is incredible i love the brain and how fascinating it is but we couldn't think about 11 million bits of information we, we just run around screaming so we have yeah. to have these filters but i think the first step to really creating change is recognizing okay i've got some flawed filters here and i need to i need to i need to start swapping them out and and you know i i often say that like compassionate awareness is where we where we begin to create change when we start to yeah. recognize the patterns that we have. And so, and I think this is probably along the lines of to some degree, what it is that you teach and what you do with yeah. um, 
get Zen and, and, and whatnot. And I don't think we actually really had dove into that, but I mean, that in itself must have been a heck of a challenge to try to, now I have this idea that I want to turn into, I don't know, a tech company in and of itself and an app and so on, and probably a road fraught with um, challenges and obstacles as well. Yes. Well, I mean, so it's interesting. Yes, it is about bringing all of that unconscious stuff into our awareness. So I think developing self-awareness is one of the keys to understanding who we are and who we authentically need to be. What are the things that really light us up and make us feel our best? Because most people are not living life in accordance with what would actually make them thrive, what would actually make them feel happy and successful and as though they're living a life that they would want to be living. They're living this formula between, you know, what was given to them in terms of marching orders, what other people's expectations were, what field should they study, what career should they choose. And so everyone's just doing this thing. And now you're in the cycle of paying bills and that's an uninspired way to live because where's you in all of that? You know, what are the things that really excite you? What are the things that you value? What is important in your life? And so I thought, it's so strange that I took this odd journey going from corporate and process and producing results. And then I studied psychology and neuroscience and positive psychology. It didn't really make a whole lot of sense to me why meandered around so much and took this odd route and now I realize it was all for this it was so I could Mm -hmm. create a process and create a technology and give these tools to people because I was searching for it myself for 20 years and I would go to seminars and I would do self-development courses and I would come back feeling great after a week of training or a weekend of training and then somehow like three weeks later, I would just slip back into old patterns and old ways of being and mm-hmm. I didn't quite know how to keep in that zone, how to, how to stay in the zone, how to keep that mindset or that, that new way of thinking and being. And so I wanted to really build that into a set of tools so that people don't slip back because this really is the study of, of what it means to be human and how to do life successfully, I think. Yeah, Absolutely. Well, Zara, I could, I could chat for quite some time with you. There's a lot more to, to unpack here. Um, but as we come to the end of the show, um, the question I always like to ask is, that, you know, if people, they've taken the time to listen to this and they thought, well, this, this is a pretty neat story. And there's some really fascinating things we've talked about. What is, what is one key piece of information that you would like people or one key thought you would like people to take away from this conversation today? You know, I think if you, if I could go back and give myself the advice, you know, my 18 year old self the advice, I would say there are two parts of you. There's the survival you, the animal you that is just going through the motions, the unconscious you. And then there's, there's the one that knows it is soul spirit essence and is, is wanting to do big things. And that's the one setting the goals. And that's the one saying one day, I'd like to have this dream or this life or this business or this goal. I'd like to help people in this way. I'd love for to, you know, to have this kind of meaning and purpose. And I would go back and say to myself, listen to that voice because it's never too late to start. And all it takes is the right set of tools to help figure out how to remove those obstacles, how to tune in and create that sort of like an integration between your conscious and unconscious mind. And it doesn't take long. All it takes is 10 minutes a day and six weeks and you can get on the road to happiness and success yourself. All you need are the tools. 
Awesome. I love that. Zara, thank you so much for being on today. It's truly been a pleasure hearing your story and all the amazing work that you're doing. Thank you so much for having me, John. And thank you for the great work you're doing and bringing all of these wonderful conversations to the foreground. Thank you so much for tuning in to Between the Before and After. If you've enjoyed this episode, please like, share, subscribe, or leave a review because that helps this podcast to reach and inspire more people. I love exploring the stories that take place between the before and after, the powerful experiences that shape who we become, and I love human potential. I love the possibilities that lie within us. So whatever you may be up against, I hope these stories inspire you because if you're still here, your story's not done yet, so keep moving forward. Anyone can come from any place of brokenness and destitution and build an amazing life.